No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you today by Manscaped. Our sponsor, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver deodorant and the Crop Reviver Toning Spray. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. So go ahead. You need to try this stuff out for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Remember, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Welcome back, everyone. This is Arthur Staple, your Islanders correspondent from The Athletic, bringing you No Sleep Till Belmont, our Islanders podcast from The Athletic. And today, uh, a very first repeat guest, uh, but he's a special one. He always brings incredible information and insight to what's going on, and I think uh, uh, now is especially important because the play in the bubble may seem to some fans like it's been a little bit different uh, than the play pre-bubble, so we welcome... Steve Valiquette from MSG Network, ClearSight Analytics. Steve, always great to have you on the show. It's my pleasure. I'm really happy to be here. I spent a few days preparing for this, Arthur. I better bring some notes. I like it. I like it. So uh, I guess we'll start off uh, kind of generally looking around the league in the bubble, what the numbers tell you about uh, where goals are being scored in the bubble and if it's it's different uh, than kind of in the pre-bubble days. It's interesting because we hear that narrative a lot, don't we, that a team specifically built for the regular season to get you in the playoffs is going to look different than uh, a team that gets you through the playoffs and to win a Stanley Cup. And I oftentimes look at this. I want to see if goal scoring is different, if the frequency of shots is any different and where chances are generally coming from. This year is no different from years past. Uh, There's not a lot of difference when you look from 50,000 feet and you look at grade A chances versus mid-percent chances and low-percent chances. Uh, the grade A chances always account for more goals. Uh, mm-hmm. The low percentage chances, they account for more shots, but very few goals. And you, you often wonder what teams are built around creating more grade A chances than, than taking low percentage shots. Uh, the regular season this year, um, goals being scored 3,974 of them off of grade A chances. Um, and that accounts for... Geez, uh, a big percentage, 65% of all goals scored in the NHL coming off of those types of chances. And, and the wild thing is, is that the low percentage shots get taken so frequently, 38,300 of them. And all of those chances, that only leads to 15% of, of all goals being scored. So you often wonder, is, is a team shooting just a shoot or is there a plan and all of those things? And the one thing that I noticed this year um, of the 16, you know, I call them grade A or high percentage chances uh, that we do cover. Um, rebounds are going in a little more frequently in the playoffs than they did in the regular season, about 6% more. Uh, the reason why I, I would say, Arthur, is because teams are on top of their chances. They're on top of the play and they follow up plays a little more frequently. Um, defensive screens, layered screens, um, those are 
pretty much going in at the rate they would in the regular season in the playoffs. So there's nothing there. And sometimes you think there's going to be more screened goals in the playoffs, not seeing it in the data at all. Um, the slot one timer is, is really down. Um, and it's 340 of them. And these are from the same side of the ice, not crossing the ice, but 340 one timers from the slot so far and only 18 goals. So wow. you know, that's one right there that, I look at it as being wildly off. Um, something on the low percentage scale that, that's definitely a little bit out there is um, offensive screens. So when a team sends one player to screen the other team's goalie and a shot comes to the net, that's a offensive screen. That's what we qualify that as. Uh, there's been 126 of those in the postseason, only one goal. You know, if, if, wow. you want, if you want to score off screens, you've got to layer it up. And um, another one, too, this one's pretty wild, too, and, and off again is a deflection on the ice. So shots coming in from the point, uh, the player puts his stick on the ice and wedges it on the net. 102 of those, only two goals. Uh, they're, they're good for creating rebounds, and that should be the mindset of the net front player. So going shot type by shot type, it's, uh, it's a lot of the same. Um, you know, the one thing I like to talk about is, uh, cross slot passes or what we would refer to as a slot line pass. So a pass that goes from one side of the ice to the other. And there's a really big difference this year in the, in the postseason with the slot line pass. Um, there's a very big difference between, uh, and we've split this up over the years, a pass that is made from one side of the ice to the other above the hash marks would qualify as a high slot line pass. And those are down. Uh, they typically historically go in 20% of the time. This postseason, uh, the goalies have really answered. There's been 120 of those, only 16 goals. So that's down to 13%. That's down. Uh, however, the low slot line pass, which is a pass from one side of the ice to the other that is connected below the hash marks, um, that's historically going in 36% of the time. Uh, it's up 37 to 37.5%. Uh, 152 of those for 57 goals. And why that's important to me, Arthur, is because 736 goals were scored in the regular season off of the low slot line pass. And that's most of any shot type that we track. And it's most by a pretty large margin. Uh, the next closest is in the 500s, and that would be a mid-percentage broken play. But um, we're seeing a lot of the same stuff. And it's, it's interesting to me because I look sometimes at what teams – you know, give up the most low slot line plays and, and how that affects the goalie because the goalie's mindset is usually pretty fixated on the puck carrier. And if that play is is made across the slot line from one side of the ice to the other, it's a huge rotation. The goalie's got to open for the first time. It's very difficult uh, cognitively to see the puck. And Ottawa, Edmonton, Calgary, San Jose, and Buffalo, they gave up that pass more than anybody in the NHL this year. And, you know, you say those teams, and they're all teams that have had difficulty keeping the puck out of their net and I think it's twofold I think it, it reflects the difficulty of the play but it also do, reflects the difficulty of the mindset adjustment the goalie needs to to refocus on the next time a player's uh, skating close to him um, another thing I've been looking at recently is uh, who's scoring on these plays uh, it, it's amazing to me I was looking at this today uh, from the regular season on the low slot line play you wonder if it's team to team, player to player, why some players are better at it, who's strong at passing it, who's strong at connecting on it. And a few things kind of jumped out at me today. It was The first was, you know, why did Mark Shifley have 14 low slot line shots this year and only score on three of them? 
where Patrick Kane, he went nine on 11, you know, you know, that's what I would look at. If I was really interested in analytics, I would really look to these things because I'm at a point now where I'm saying to myself, it's amazing how analytics just help you uh, and lead you to answers to problems you probably have internally, instead of just changing the player, help the player. You know, is there something we have to look at right now? Is it a stick length or is it a, a lie? Is there technique involved? Is there a difference between the way that Shifley lines up and the way that Kane does? And those those types of things, I think, are very interesting. Uh, Austin Matthews is another one. He had 25 low slot line plays this year that he shot off of, and he scored eight times, but he's he's below league average shooting percentage, and that's one of the game's greatest scores. So on that particular shot type, you know, what's he doing a little bit differently than maybe one of his training partners, actually, in fact, they both work with Daryl Belfry. So I'd look at Patrick Kane's video and that's, that's where I get excited. Uh, another aspect, just uh, lastly on the low slot line play, because I think it's the most important play in hockey to score uh, every level, quite honestly, um, who's delivering that pass the most and how are we evaluating and valuing them? And we're trying always to qualify and quantify who's got value in your roster. Well, McDavid delivered 24 of those passes this year. Kane, 22. Stone, 19. Panarin and Goudreau, 18. And who are, who are the top guys? Because nobody had a higher shooting percentage during the regular season uh, besides Patrick Kane than uh, Mika Zibanejad. So, you, you know, you're looking at that combination a little bit. And it's, it's very neat. Like when you need a goal and you need one, you wonder who you really have to rely on. And, and the Panarin Zibanejad one for the Rangers this year was a big one. You know, I, I always based a lot on our conversation from a couple months ago too, thinking about the goalies in the, in the bubble situation with a, you know, no travel, but a condensed schedule, no fans, all these little factors that maybe go into how you mentally approach the, this very unique environment. And, and really, you know, when you're talking about some of these high percentage plays that are not going in as much um do you kind of chalk it up to these goalies are healthy you know there's some guys that aren't aren't worn down because they had such a long break and is really you know if the seeing the lateral pushes maybe being a little bit stronger than they'd be in a normal playoff season because it's not the tail end of a of a 60 or you know a 50 start grind for some of these guys yeah i uh i don't disagree i think that i think that you're right okay i well i know you're right but the one thing is, and this is the caveat, there's been quite a few very good goalies allowing bad goals. I've seen more low percentage goals, surprisingly, from some of the guys that don't give them up during the regular season. Um, one, one in particular is Jacob Markstrom. Markstrom didn't give up a low percentage goal all season long on clear-sighted shots uh, outside of the slot. And uh, he's already given up six uh, low percentage goals this postseason. But... Wow. He's been great on the very difficult saves. He's been great on them. And uh, the most, I was looking at this this morning, uh, the most goals allowed, uh, low percentage goals allowed by goaltenders, um, Talbot seven, Crawford six, Markstrom six, Kemper four, Stalock four. Everybody's out except for Markstrom. But he, mm -hmm. he's really found a way to make the big saves and make up for it. And that doesn't happen often because the bench usually sinks after a low percentage goal. And that's usually uh, a byproduct of belief. And, you know, the goaltender has to have that character confidence to carry everybody through the lineup. And I always say that 
a lot of the teams, a lot of the team's belief system really revolves around their belief in their goaltender and making that say that the goaltender sees. Uh, Corpus Allo's got the best performance so far. Um, he's obviously out now, but he, he was the best goaltender um, up until the last game. Carter Hart was actually number one, but he slipped to number two after giving up a softy, uh, borderline softy against Pajot. Um, probably should have had that one. And uh, Carey Price actually had a good playoff. He was he was third. Uh, Vasilevsky came in just after Markstrom at fifth, and Varlamov's been terrific, uh, sixth. So, you know, it's it's kind of been neat. I think that a lot of the goalies have overperformed on some of the grade A chances and then underperformed on some of the low percentage plays. We'll get back to our great interview with Steve in a minute, but first a word from DraftKings. Hey, this is Arthur Staple telling you there are a hundred million reasons why you should listen up. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is celebrating the return of sports by giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all of their customers, including one lucky winner who will take home a $1 million cash prize. To claim your share of up to $100 million in instant giveaways, all you have to do is download the app and sign up using the promo code QUICK, then enter DraftKings' free football survivor pool. Yes, it's really that easy to claim your share of up to $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running to win a $1 million cash prize. While the top prize is is reserved for one lucky winner, everyone who signs up and enters DraftKings' free football survivor pool will receive an instant bonus prize of at least $5 in value upon entering. While you're in the app, don't forget to check out all of the great odds boosts and promotions DraftKings Sportsbook is offering every day to celebrate this week's basketball and golf action. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code QUICK to claim your share of $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running for the $1 million cash top prize. That's promo code QUICK to get your share of $100 million in prizes only at DraftKings. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, knowing your... Um you work for you have a lot of clients in the NHL and some of them I'm sure are still alive in the bubble but uh when you're looking at the overall you know we would logically assume that the teams that are generating the most quality chances and preventing the most quality chances are the ones that are still alive among the eight teams but are are there any outliers are there any is there anybody that's you know we talked at the top of the show about uh teams that um, are built for the playoffs, let's say. Are there any teams that you're kind of seeing like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe they were they were kind of bobbing along uh, average to, you know, to slightly above average in the regular season who have really put their, their quality chance meter up to, to 11 uh, in the playoffs and, and turned into what I think, a lot, you know, maybe a, a lot of observers would have thought this is a team that's built for a situation like this. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a fascinating question and it deserves a good answer. Uh, it's amazing when you... Look at a particular team. Take Toronto or Edmonton. Really great at creating scoring opportunities, but not nearly as good at preventing them. So what do you value? Do you value your team by how many they get or how many they give up? Uh, Some teams uh, give up very little, but don't really get a whole lot offensively. You're trying to balance that. Uh, One of those teams that comes to mind is Minnesota. Uh, Don't give up a lot. Um, and they, it's funny because it's not that they don't get a lot. They have a good system in place. They just don't finish. They have, they don't have shooting percentage heights. They don't have, they don't have the players that can finish those opportunities. And, or, or another way to look at it is 
maybe we're looking at ways that the other teams score on those same chances and we're getting down to one knee. We're choking down on the stick and we're finishing the play a little bit more instead of pounding the puck on the ice when the goalie's coming across. We're elevating it and uh, we're shooting for rebounds in areas that we could be shooting to score. Minnesota's one. I don't think that I don't think Minnesota's that far off. That's that's one team that's really kind of surprised me uh, through the regular season with very little fanfare and then in the playoffs. Uh, Edmonton, um, they get a lot of scoring chances. Uh, they give up far too much. Um, the New York Islanders, at even strength, uh, per 60 minutes of, of play, they have the best differential of all teams still currently playing and, and all teams all-inclusive. So you're looking at the New York Islanders as, as the top team right now. They, they probably were a team that everybody understood could play this way, and this is the way playoffs are going to be played. They're going to suffocate you, and they're not going to give up a lot off the rush, and they're not going to try for a lot off the rush. But they're they're just a terrific hockey team, you know. They they really do. They represent. This is this is your podcast, but I'll tell you what. I, I'm not just saying it, but the, the players play for the logo in the front and not the name on the back. Um, that's Lou's message, and that's that's the way they are. And they look that way. And under these conditions, I, I've always thought that you really want to have to be there to push through all the really tough mental stuff that you have to get through uh, in these conditions. This by no means is an easy Stanley Cup. This is. We could argue the hardest Stanley Cup that anybody's ever going to have to win in these current times. And what a team this team is. And I, I look back to when they, uh, I believe it was a 17-game uh, point streak. Was it 17 or 16, Arthur? Yeah, you know? 17, yep. You know? And I remember watching the team and just seeing the way they celebrated. Uh, you, you really get excited when you see a team celebrate like that and you, and you buy into what they believe in. And sometimes when I look around the league and I see the lower-placed team have a star player that scores and then celebrates by themselves in the corner, you know that that's not a team that's going to stick stick through the tough stuff. And so a lot of the intangibles, I'd also give credit to the New York Islanders. Um, Tampa Bay and Vegas are right there, though. Um, Vegas and Tampa Bay are, are two extremely uh, strong teams that are going to be tough outs for anybody. And, um, you know, those are probably two teams that most of us think will make it to the final as well. Um, Montreal, Montreal is not nearly as far away as everybody thinks too, as, as, as far as, you know, looking at their differential, they had a pretty strong playoff, but at even strength is that's where you measure things. And that's what I'm talking about right now. I think that's something that's a pretty good baseline for what you can expect. Uh, the strong teams right now are Islanders, Vegas, Tampa Bay, and in the data at least. And when we talk about data, you know, I think the average fan who maybe is, is, uh, dipping their toe into the into the data world versus the the dedicated data driven fans uh, of which there are many out there. I certainly have heard from a lot. I think a lot of people associate data with with kind of the the you know dismissing the old school of hockey, um, saying we we need more skill, we need less grit or jam or, or words that guys like John Tortorella love to throw around or most other coaches do. But I think listing off those three teams, you mentioned the Islanders, who you mentioned capital T team, Tampa, which may not have even been in this situation, missing their captain, but having added more edgy guys like Bogosian and Goodrow and Blake Coleman before the before the pause came, and Vegas, which is probably you know maybe a little bit faster paced, but essentially a Western Conference version of the Islanders, a team that's that's not terribly star driven. Um, how do you, as someone who mines this data and, and drills down looking for 
offense, which is you know what what it's all about. How do you, as also as a former player who played in that era of grit and jam, reconcile those two ideas, especially this time of year when when we see the teams that are that are mentally and physically tougher rise to the top? Isn't it amazing? Like we're always trying to put our finger on it, and I feel like data is a good start. It's not the answer. It's just a very good start. It always leads you to video. So um, I can give you a few examples, and, and I, I I think about this a lot. Um, if you're going to talk about a goaltender, and let's just start there because the genesis of this company is revolving around the goalie. What does he have difficulty with and how can you help him, right? And there's so many different things in data that you can look for. Uh, one of the things I looked at this week um, was what's it like for a goaltender to face a lefty versus a righty? Is there a difference? Are some goalies ranking very high in save percentage against lefties but not righties? And David Riddick came to the uh, top of the page here, um, has a really good time against lefties, but can't stop righties. Uh, his goal differential is 22. And he has a very difficult time against righties. And you're kind of asking yourself why. And does it have to do with, does it have to do with the way the puck is coming off the stick from that angle? Does it have to do with him lining up to the body more than on the puck? And I've, it's amazing because I've started with this when I was training goalies after I retired. One of the first exercises that really blew my mind was that I just couldn't believe, Arthur, how frequently goalies would shutter their eyes off of the release. And I had to put a GoPro on the ice pointing at their faces, and then I would have to see that they were actually, before the puck was delivered to them, flinching, closing their eyes, not seeing it. It was really easy to see when a goalie gives up a rebound and he doesn't know where that rebound goes. He's looking around left, right, and it's under him. Well, he doesn't know where the rebound is because his eyes were closed. His eyes were closed on the initial shot. He can't find it. Um, one of the companies that I've worked with now for some time is, is Visual Edge. And uh, one of their leaders there is, is Adam Micheletti, which is funny because it's, it's Joe's son, mm -hmm. uh, just a coincidence. But um, what their company does is they have a platform that helps baseball players, hockey players, referees, uh, goalies train their eyes on a, on a platform that's basically in place off of your iPad, off of your, off of your computer. And it really, it's really about measuring, um, the convergence of your eyes and the divergence of your eyes. And, and those two things may be new to people. Uh, I had to look them up myself when I started, you know, talking to Adam and the convergence is the ability that your eyes have to turn both of those eyes inward towards each other so they can look at a closed object, like catching a hockey puck. And then divergence is the opposite of convergence. It's actually the ability to turn your two eyes outward to look out at an object leaving you like a rebound or a distant look at a, a defenseman with the puck at the blue line. So I'm going to get get around to this answer here. It's a little bit long-winded, but there's something in the data that points to goalies by age being able to stop the puck more frequently when they have clear sight versus uh, goalies that are an older age. So the younger age guys versus the older age guys. I looked at the back uh, bottom of my list and the goalies from the slot area that had clear vision on the puck for more than half of a second uh, before it came off the shooter's stick, the older guys were all at the bottom. I mean, it's in good goalies too. Like Corey Crawford had a really good year this year, but this is one thing, one aspect he had difficulty with. He was last on the list. Um, I looked at uh, goalies that have all faced a minimum of 75 chances from the slot just to have a, an equal playing field. And uh, 
Corey Crawford's 38. Uh, Riddick, uh, he's getting up there. He's 28. But Lundquist is right there at 38. Mike Smith at 38. Marc-Andre Fleury at 35. Anderson. I mean, all the older guys are at the bottom of this list. And it makes you wonder, is there more to uh, is there more to it where do we have to really develop our eyes as we age as goalies? Is that something we should be looking at a little bit more? And, and again, I'm going back to my previous statement, which is analytics help lead you to answers to solve problems. And if there's a problem with your aging goalie, he's terrific east to west still. He's still got that explosiveness. He's got the pop. But is there something that's within his control to continue, continually develop and strengthen um, as he ages? Because we're paying these guys, you know, there's Markstrom, for, for example. You know, he's probably going to get like a seven-year contract. Mm-hmm. But that's going to bring him past that, you know, 35-year-old age where you're kind of saying, like, do we want to keep our guy strong or are we going to let him fade away? And uh, the strongest guys are, are the young guys. One of the clients that Visual Edge has is Carter Hart. And he was the top in the NHL this year, top guy on clear-sighted shots, number one. And, you know, you can see it too if you look at, you know, you're covering the series right now, Arthur. It's if you see an odd man rush, if you see an odd man rush, you're going to see the Philadelphia Flyers give that odd man rush to Carter Hart. He's going to be the guy that's one-on-one with the shooter. Uh, Carter Hart faced 13 two-on-ones this season where the Flyers did not allow the pass to get across. They gave the puck carrier to him. And you can see, I, I watched all of them just to, just to get an idea of what they were doing. You can see Provorov and Sanheim did a really good job. They would just hold the lane, hold the lane, let Carter take the shot. No, no problem. Now, that shot is going in around the league 20% of the time because typically that puck carrier gets into the slot. He's one-on-one with the goalie, and he can, he can take him to task. But not Carter Hart. I mean, he tracks it, and it's it's just neat to connect the youth of the goalie to the data, and then have the background and knowledge of the fact that uh, he's working with Visual uh, Visual Edge, and it's it's a pretty neat it's a pretty neat dynamic. You know, there's there's always something that I feel like data leads me to and and supports. Yeah, I mean it. it uh... It is always the you know the never ending. I hope it does end someday because, like you said, it's it's. I think the the teams that use it well, that use your information well, um, know that it's it's a, it's a means to an end and not the end. Which I think a lot of a lot of fans maybe stop at that point because because it's complex. It's hard to it's hard to chart. It's hard to it's hard to follow through on. Um, is there are there any trends in scoring or in in stopping goals uh, in the bubble that you've seen that have surprised you a little bit? I mean, I know we talked about, you know, shot, uh, you know, the high danger chances or high percentage chances and how they've, how they've altered a little bit, but are there any other trends that you've seen uh, so far in this month that, uh, that you feel like are worth investigating or, or caught you by surprise a bit? Yeah, there's, there's one, Uh, there's one that I was working on this morning and this was sort of a project that was on the side and I, you know, I, I wake up every morning like everybody else and look at your, you know, desk of to do to do list for the day. And this has been one for a few days, and I and I dug into it a little bit more. And this is something that's actually been bothering me because I've been on the ice a lot uh, recently, coaching goalies, uh, collegiate goalies. Some haven't left yet, and some prep prep school goalies that haven't left yet. There's a lot of uh, a lot more hanging around uh, this year with with uh, the uncertainty in the world. And 
being on the ice when you're working with a young goalie, you've got to really get them strong. Uh, some coaches refer to it as the flanks, um, the wings generally, but as goalie coaches, we typically call it the funnel. And the shots in the funnel, they happen most frequently in games. So especially when I'm working with a young guy, I want to make sure they're very good at that area because they're going to see 65% of all of their shots in the game from there. So that's typically something that year to year we work on a lot. Movement in the funnel, passes, just straight line skating, all things of that nature. Now, I've been working with these guys for so long, Arthur, they're, they're just so good in the funnel that we've got to move to the slot. And just you don't see the shots from the slot where a player skates it in unimpeded that frequently. but of course, it's a big save when you make it. And, you know, this kind of goes back to a long conversation that I had uh, about five years ago. Um, I was in Vail, Colorado, and John Tavares was there, and uh, Patrick Kane, and Max Talbot, and Sidney Crosby, and I were at lunch one day, and we were talking about the pass off the pads, right? And, and uh, Sid and Max shared this story with me, which I thought was really funny. In Pittsburgh at the time, they had uh, a player fund. And it was, um, it was called a POP money, so pass-off pads money. And if you got one of those in a game and your teammate that received that pass-off the pads didn't score, he had to put money into the fine jar. And uh, eventually somebody would score and they would win the pot. So I thought it was interesting because like those guys were shooting all over the place uh, to create those types of plays. But then as a, as a goalie, intuitively I was saying to myself, well, I remember, again, being in New York with Tortorella and Mike Sullivan was our coach at the time. And we would do drills, a lot of them, where guys would just, you know, dive down the flanks and then take a long shot. And Benoit Lair, as, as the wise goalie coach that he is, uh, really started working on stick angles with Lundquist and I at that time just to steer these pucks into the corner. Got to a point that we couldn't even do those drills anymore because it was just so easy. It would be, became routine. It's almost like... Uh, you know, they think they're making a move on us, the players, and then the goalies respond. And then the goalies, you know, have to respond to something else. And that's the game of cat and mouse. But the reason why I brought it up was that when I got into data, right, Arthur, I, I, I retire and I'm doing this, starts off as a passion project, but then it becomes a company. I really wanted to see how many POPs did a, uh, play, a team or, a, or a, as a league does the NHL have to take to create a goal? And you know, you're looking at team to team and you're seeing how they get to the net and you're looking at player to player. And in the end, uh, looking at a league-wide data set at the end of my first year of collecting every shot and 34 points of data per shot in the NHL, it takes 150 shots from outside of the slot area to create one POP goal. Uh, the ones that go in are the ones where guys actually POP from the slot. and that's the thing. And this is, this is where I think the future of goal scoring is getting to the slot area and having the goaltender believe there are three options rather than just one. Because everywhere in hockey, grassroots to NHL, you cannot pass up a shot when you are in dead slot. Agreed? True, yeah. You know, like, you can't. You will get yelled at. You will get reprimanded as soon as you get to the bench. Now, I, I actually brought this up the last time we chatted. Clear-sighted shots historically uh, goes in 7.5% of the time from the slot. It's incredibly low. It's gone from the teens down to 75 in the five years that I've been doing this. Now, the postseason, it's down even more. It's down to a 5.29 wow. chance to score. There have been 340. This is pretty amazing, right? We, if you remember last time we talked about Jack Eichel and how he was the best in the NHL, 
and he had had uh, 29 shots from the slot and scored seven times. And we're not talking about off the rush, though. Let's just be clear. We're talking about, you know, OZP in zone. So there have been 340 clear-sighted shots from the slot already this postseason. I mean, how many goals do you think have been scored, Arthur? 18. Wow. 18. You know, like, so we're down to five less, uh, you know, 5.29%. And, and that hurts because it's hard for me to explain this to coaches, that it's not a good scoring chance. That's, that's where every other data set that's out there that's publicly available um, would state that is a high danger scoring chance. And it's not, you know, it's not. But what I think the future of scoring is, is that shooters have to understand that the goaltender, when you get in the slot, the goalie believes 100% of the time that you're shooting it. You're shooting it to score. So what if, what if option one is player is passing? What if, what if a team adopts the idea that when I get to the slot, my first option is to pass? Just start there. My first look for the pass. If it's not there, it's not there. But that's check one. Any, any looks, no looks. Because a player would have to have the confidence that he wouldn't get reprimanded when he gets to the bench if he does choose to pass and it doesn't work, right? Mm. Option number two, the player is shooting for a rebound. The player is shooting. The player is dead slot and he's not shooting to beat the goalie because who knows what it's going to be in a couple more years with these guys using visual edge and the younger guys coming in and taking over. And again, all the young guys have incredible save percentages from the slot. So if player that gets to the slot is shooting for a rebound, you're going to get goals. And I'll tell you why, because it's indefensible for a goalie to be able to control a puck that's being shot at him, clear sight from 10 and 15 feet away. You can't. All you're trying to do is get a save. There's no way that you're going to be able to respond with controlling the puck. Outside of the slot, yes, but inside the slot, no. So that's option two. And then option three is uh, the player is shooting to score. And I think option three will go in more often, and then we're going to see the shooting percentage go back into those low teens where they were five years ago uh, because now you've got a goaltender that is not all the way fixated on the shot that he anticipates coming, but he's thinking about the other two options as well. Look, historically, clear-sighted shots, they, again, those are the shots that are taken most frequently in games. Uh, clear-sighted shots from the perimeter, historically, over the last five years we've been doing this, uh, 0.3% chance to score. Clear-sighted shot from the flanks or the funnel or, or the wings, 1.5% uh, chance. So that's just out of the slot. 1.5. Mm-hmm. And then a clear-sighted slot shot is going in 7.5. It used to be low teens. You know, it was 13. It was 14 one year. Now it's all the way down after this regular season, 7%. And like I said, postseason down to 5. So it's just one of those things. I wonder – I do an exercise, Arthur, that's pretty, uh, pretty neat with the goalies at the end of our practices. We have this compete drill where I've got five shooters on the ice, the goalies in the net, and the five shooters are – all quadrant off. I have a, uh, a marker, an acrylic marker that I use, and I can quadrant off these sections. So there's one guy on the left side of the slot. There's one guy on the right, right side of the slot. One guy in the left funnel as well as dead angle. So any puck that goes to the corner, they have to get it, and then they can bring it to the net. And then there's another guy on the right, and I have a semicircle around the net, so there's a net front guy. Five guys in one minute have to score five goals to beat the goaltender. If the goalie loses, he rolls over twice. The players lose, they roll over twice. It's a great exercise just to get everybody competing. And it, it really kind of brings the practice together for the goaltender at the end. And 
what's really funny is that uh got a really good goalie that I coach that's he's going to sign in the NHL. He's a high character guy. He was named captain for the University of Michigan. His name's Strauss Mann. And Strauss, you know, we have to bring that number down to two. Um, if the players score twice in a minute on that drill, they win because Strauss is that good on the clear-sighted shot. Uh, however, when the players know they're up against a goalie that they can't beat with a straight-line shot, you know what they do? They pass it off the pads because now there's no passing in this drill. I just want to be clear on that. There's no passing, but every rebound that is alive in your specific quadrant is alive for you to shoot it. And you can take as much time as you want. But when the guys are lined up with Strauss and they can't be, they know they can't beat him clean. They pass it off his pads. There's nothing Strauss can do to help himself not give up a rebound there. And then they start to score on him. That's the only way they can score. And again, another young guy who trains intensely and he's committed. And I think the uh, the future of scoring is going to have to be, you know, three options from the slot rather than just the one that uh, players are permitted to have right now. Well, as always, my friend, this stuff is uh, is incredibly eye opening, and uh, it's great for you to share it with our listeners. And we get a lot more listeners when you come on the show, so we're going to have to make this a more regular thing when, uh, as we get deeper into the playoffs, and if the Islanders are still in it, we'll talk some more. But uh, Steve Valiquet, uh CEO of Clearsight Hockey, uh, MSG Network analyst, all around savant about the world of scoring goals and preventing goals. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I, I appreciate it, Arthur. Uh, thanks for the kind words, and uh, hopefully we get another opportunity, another round. <laughs> all right. That's all we got for this week, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. We'll be back again, uh, as the Islanders will, uh, returning to the ice this weekend for uh, for uh, after a couple days off and uh, returning to their series with the Flyers in the second half. Thanks for listening.